Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Um, yeah. Are we happy to be here? Yeah. We got uh, something on our heart, Lord, and things going on in our lives. But I think the Spirit has something to say to us today. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for um, this building, this body of Christ, Lord, each member here with their, their own things, their own individual, personal walks with you. Thank you for their portions and everything that you've given them. Thank you for salvation. And uh, bless these words, Lord, and hide me behind your cross, Lord. In your precious name, amen. amen. So, I wanted to talk about an interesting subject as a Christian, I think we all can identify, um, and that is brokenness. Brokenness. Um, how often are we broken in our lives, our Christian life, um, the things we, we don't see? Um, the, you could say the sludge of the Christian life where you feel like you're kind of walking through mud, um, but you're close with God, right? Um, Psalm 51, to start off, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. And a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Beautiful. Um, but I wanted to, to, to apply this topic of brokenness um, to the story of Abraham and Sarah. If we want, uh, maybe Nick can put the verse up there. Um, Genesis 18, we can start there. Verse 14. I won't take long. Um, it says, this is a story of, you know, the, you know, the angel, the Lord tells um, Abraham that he will have a son of the promise, which we all know is Isaac. Isaac is the son of the promise. Um, he will be blessed by many, like, um, his inheritance will be like the, as numerous as the stars. Um, and this is going to come through Abraham. Um, but Abraham's old, and Sarah's old. So how are they going to naturally have a child when they're old? They're past the age. Um, and it says in verse um, 11, Now Abraham and Sarah were old and were stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of, of woman. This is King James. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, after I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also. And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I, have, shall of, shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? In verse 14, this is the verse. Is any, anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to thy time of life. And Sarah, Sarah shall have a son. Sarah shall have a son. So it's interesting. We go into this topic of brokenness. Um, if you know anything about Abraham's life, it was a life of faith. He is the father of our faith. Um, but they were old, naturally speaking. How are they going to have a child when they're old? Um, 
And they laughed. Sarah laughed. Sarah thought it was funny. Actually, they says they both laughed. Abraham also laughed um, because it was, it was ridiculous. How is this possible? But the Lord had a plan, and he said what he was going to do. Um, how often has he said something in our lives that we haven't seen yet, but has, come yet, has yet to come, pass, uh, to come to pass, and we can so easily lose track of the things that he's already done in our life, and we get distracted with the things. But, yeah, we may think our situation is impossible, but nothing is impossible with God, right? Nothing is. It's incredible. Um, and in, in the church, we have a new church. It's, it's exciting and it's, it's fresh. There's, you know, things going on here. Uh, we want to be used by God, but the fact is, in order for us to be effectively used, we must be broken. We must be broken first, meaning our outer man, um, what you see, must be pierced through so that God can touch our spirit. Um, a little um, spiritual conversation in description and teaching right now is we have many parts in our, our nature. Um, the outermost part is what you see, which is the outermost man, which is my body, the flesh. And then we have the, the outer man, which comes next, which is the soul. It's, uh, it's the personality. It's um, Stephen. This is Stephen, like the personality of me. And then you have a little bit deeper, the deepest part of man, which is the innermost part, which is his spirit. And the spirit is what God wants. That's where God wants to get to. And, and there has to be, there's a capsule around the spirit. And actually, we're dead. Our spirit's dead because of the fall. Um, without Christ, we are just uh, flesh bags. We're dead. We're not alive. So God has to make us alive. And... Uh, and there's a work of the cross that happens where Christ comes through, and he breaks that capsule, you could say. Uh, let's turn to John 12. Jesus mentions this. John 12, 24, if you have your Bibles. It talks about, Jesus describes this as a grain of wheat. You guys know what I'm, you know the story, this little explanation of what we're talking about here? John 12, 24. Um, verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto, unto life eternal. If a, any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him my father will honor. Um, so brokenness, the outer shell of the soul has to be broken. And we so easily say, we dismiss things that happen in our lives, dismiss things that come in, hardships, trials, and we say, this is not from God. But really, do we really think that's true? Do we think that God has not ordained things to happen in our life to break us, to break the outer man so that his spirit can, can come forth and we want the Spirit of God to join with our spirit, the deepest, most part of us, and we want it to flow through us. And how beautiful that is. If we know anything about the Spirit of God, we know a little bit about brokenness. Um, if we want to find rest, a lot of people are not in finding rest right now. If we want to find rest for our souls, the Spirit of truth must be the one who makes us alive. It's the Spirit of truth. 
Um, our greatest hindrance is not in the Christian life is not others. It's not the person in front of you or to your left or your right. It's yourselves. That's the truth. We have something so precious, so valuable inside of us as born-again believers um, that words cannot explain. We can't. There's no words. It's the Spirit of God. It's the truth. It's Christ in us. Our outer man is not valuable unless the Spirit of God is giving us life from within. In closing, uh, Abraham, Abraham, he finally was given the son of promise. Isaac was born. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. He loved Isaac. Um, he, I mean, he, he did technically fail with, uh, was it uh, Hagar and Ishmael, right? Um, but God is faithful. He, he was given, you know, Isaac was born. And then we know the story. Isaac, God asked Abraham, hey, I want you to offer your son, your son as a sacrifice to me now. Um, can you imagine Abraham, right? He's been given what God has promised, and now he's told to offer him up. Can you imagine the brokenness, what, the feelings he had as he's walking up the mountain, and he's, he knows that he has to offer up um, Isaac, but the whole time he's probably praying to himself, God, have mercy, have mercy, have mercy, have mercy. Um, I, love, I love Isaac, have mercy. Um, beautiful picture of brokenness. I mean, it doesn't say necessarily that he, his feelings as he is walking up, but we can only imagine it's his son. Um, but this brokenness, it's our Christian life. And we know that after Abraham, he obeyed God, it says that he was blessed. He was blessed. God blessed him for what he did. He knew that God knew that Abraham feared him now um, because he lived by faith. And he got through the confusion, the unknown. He knew the truth of God's word. God said it, but in himself, in his outer man, maybe in his soul life, he was like, I don't understand, Lord. I don't get it. Why are you saying do this? But he got through it, right? He lived by faith. And... Uh, God blessed him. So, the meaning of the cross, in closing, is the breaking of the outward man, right? If a man desires to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Um, so, Lord, thank you, Jesus, for this word. Um, teach us brokenness, or maybe we are in the middle of it. Um, the Spirit knows what we're going through, and God, you have a plan. You don't despise the broken spirit or the contrite heart. You're there in our prayers. You're there in the, the darkness of our life. You're there. You're listening. You hear us. Uh, bless the remaining of our service as our pastor delivers the word and your precious name. Amen. Amen. All right, hey, whoa. All right, hey, uh, let's uh, stand up for a second. Stephen used a deep theological term, meaning flesh bag. You're all a bag of flesh. <laughs> so I would like you to talk to your neighbor. What does it mean to be a flesh bag? <laughs> <laughs>
No idea, can't relate. It's a tough, it's a tough word to define, isn't it? What does it mean to be a flesh bag? <laughs> yeah, I was thinking like in our in our flesh, um, we can react the wrong way, right? When somebody says something, we can react the wrong way, and that what he's saying is we're we're reacting in our flesh versus responding the way. God would want us to respond. So that's when we say, you know, we're in the flesh. You know, Paul says it all the time, in the flesh, in the flesh, in the flesh, versus being in the spirit. And who's, who's in, in the spirit all the time? Anybody here? Yeah. How many of you guys are in the flesh all the time? <laughs> yeah, I think oftentimes I could be in the flesh more often than I'm in the spirit. It's interesting. Well, let's, uh, let's read a few passages, and then we'll have you sit. Psalm chapter 103. Psalm 103, verses uh, 10 through 12. This is an interesting passage. Uh, many scholars believe that David is writing this after he is getting over a serious illness, and also towards the end of his life when he's a little bit older. Uh, and all of us know that when we're older, we usually have more wisdom because we can look back at our experiences and we can understand and learn more. We can also appreciate the goodness of God after we're done being sick from a serious illness. And uh, we've gone through that uh, recently, right, in our church. We've been praying for people who have been seriously ill. Uh, my mom is one of them. We've been praying for her. Uh, others, I think, too, right? So we've been praying. Oh, that, that was it. Um, yeah, Jill and Rich's uh, neighbor friend. What's his name again? Rick. Rick? Rick Bans. Yeah, we're praying for them. You know, we're praying for a lot of people. And it's in this psalm that David writes these words. He says, verse 10, said, He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punish us according to our iniquities. For as far as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this message, a message of forgiveness, a message of redemption a message that defines what sin is also. <laughs> and we are just so thankful for the truth that's in the Bible and for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This is an interesting passage. Uh, in the very beginning, he, he is very joyful. You could read verses, you know, one, two, three, you know, four, five, six, Seven. And it talks a lot about 
the goodness of God and how we are being satisfied by God's presence. That, uh, that there is diseases, right? Verse 3, but he heals, he redeems, he crowns, he satisfies. I mean, he goes on and on again, over and over again about this idea. And we could say it in one word, we could say the goodness of God. Uh, how many of you guys think that God is good? Yeah. As Ben was singing, I was just thinking about the passage that is really using, you know, the Apostle Paul's words, like, what can separate us from God's love? Nothing can, right? No height, nor depth. Nothing. No angel, no demon. Nothing can separate me from God's love. And I was thinking about that sitting over here. And I was thinking this very simple thought, like, it doesn't matter what happens right now. Nothing matters because I am sitting in the love of God. It doesn't matter how today's service goes. It doesn't matter if I wake up in the morning and I find out that I am sick. It doesn't matter if I find out that I have a deadly disease. It doesn't matter if, if something is taken away from me that is very valuable because what really matters is that I am in God's love. And I was thinking so hard about this last night. As I was going to bed, I was thinking about the love of God and how burdened we can be in our own lives and we can be consumed with our own guilt and how our guilt can separate us from God's love. Now we read in the Bible that nothing can separate me from God's love. That God is good and God is gracious and he wants to give and extend his, his mercy towards us over and over and over again. But we find in our experience what happens. That oftentimes our own guilt separates me from God's love. Not in my position, but in my experience. Now, has anybody ever said, you know, <laughs> you know, so-and-so hates me? Anybody ever say that? Maybe if you could go back a really long time ago when you were like, I don't know, when you had your first crush. I don't know how old you guys were. I don't, I'm trying to think in my, how old I was, actually. And you ever remember writing that little note, you know, do you like me or not? Did anybody ever do that? I mean, it's really stupid. <laughs> I remember doing that, and it becomes, it, it, do, why does that happen? <laughs> it's a country song, too, you know. <laughs> now, I think we all did this silly thing, you know. But what really happens, it, it happens because of insecurities in our life. And we think somebody might not like us. They might hate us. And why do we think that? Because of a way they reacted to something that we said. And oftentimes, as those relationships develop, and they do develop, right? They develop. I mean, and what happens is we find out that those insecurities were established because we didn't know who somebody was. You know, somebody makes me, a funny face at me, and I, I, and I am angry and I am upset, 
but it becomes because I don't know the heart of that person. And I'm just, you know, thinking of all the stories of all those little letters that I maybe sent to a girl, you know, do you, do you still like me, yes or no, or to a friend, are you still my friend, yes or no? And all that insecurity that was in my heart, and I would say these things, and God, you know, it is the same way that we can be with God. That in our relationship with God, there can be such a great insecurity because we don't know the heart of God. And now, now listen to this verse. Verse 9, it's an interesting verse because of all this praising about God's goodness. In verse 9 it says, He will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever. It's an interesting verse to be put right in the middle of God's goodness and God's mercy and God's forgiveness. Because in David's experience, do you think that he felt God was ever striving against him? Do you think that ever happened in David's life? I mean, read the Bible. It's very clear that it happened in David's life. It's very clear that David suffered the consequences of his own sin, right? This is, this is interesting. And it, remember when Nathaniel came up to David and talked to him about the sheep that was stolen, blah, blah, blah. And he says, you are the man. And then right after, Nathaniel gives you can choose these repercussions. Choose one, and that will be the consequence of your sin. You remember this story? And did David not suffer because of the consequences in, of, of his decisions that he made with Bathsheba? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. But this, remember, Psalm 103 is being written towards the end of his life as he is older, as he's being healed from this disease. And what is he saying about God? Very simply, he is saying that God is good. He is very simply saying God is good. And so often in our lives, we have a conundrum. We have a funny way of looking at a couple things. And one of those things that we look at funny is sin. How many of you enjoy that word, sin? And, you know, we, the Bible says very clearly that we are a sinner. Actually, in this passage, the Hebrew uses three different words for saying that we are sinners. And the Bible isn't easy when it says that you are a sinner. The Bible is very harsh. And it is important for us to understand what these words mean for a couple reasons. One is that it reveals the depths of our aggression against God at some point or another in our life. That's a hard word because it's saying that we are aggressors against God. Did you guys ever think about it that way? We read the New Testament, it says that you are at enmity with the Holy Spirit, We're at enmity with God, meaning you are at war, meaning that we are an aggressor against God because of our actions, because of the condition of our hearts, or as you know, Stephen was saying, because of our spirits being dead, but alive unto sin, we were aggressors against God. So it reveals the depth of our aggression against God. It also reveals that we are all guilty. This is an interesting passage. Because when we think about guilt, it doesn't make us feel very happy, does it? 
Well, that's because oftentimes many of us live in guilt. And when we live in guilt, what it does is it causes the, you know, sin to resonate in our heart versus the effectual work of Christ on the cross. That there is something that is in our heart and is resonating and is, you know, and, and, and that is sin. Sin can be resonating inside of our hearts. And you are mulling over that aggression against God over and over and over and over again in its guilt. God never designed guilt to be done that way. Actually, in psychology, guilt is considered a good thing because it is like a warning sign, you know, like a stop sign, a red lights, danger, danger, don't go any further. That is what guilt is saying. Guilt is saying that there is something that has been done in my conscience against the will of God. That is what guilt is saying. And God is, God is saying it this way. God is saying that there can be guilt in your life, and in one sense, it is good. Because it, it tells you that in your spirit, there is something that is wrong in your walk with God. And in Psalm 103, we see that it is not designed for that to always be. It is designed that we receive the mercy of God. That we receive his forgiveness that we walk in the newness of life. So it is important that we understand what these words mean. Another thing that it reveals, it reveals the extent of God's goodness. <laughs> you know, sometimes we don't really understand what the meaning of sacrifice is, right? I remember as being a child and just getting amazing gifts for Christmas, or going to camp, or, or having an ice cream with my family. I remember these good moments. And now being an adult, I, I realize the sacrifices that my parents had to make to have that happen. It wasn't easy, right? If we think about it this way, we see what God is doing, the sacrifice that he has made, if we don't understand sin properly, we don't understand the goodness of God. We think we deserve something. And he uses several words here for sin. Right? Verse, um, let's look at these real quick. Verse 10, he uses the word sin. At the end of verse 10, he uses the word iniquities. And then, verse 11, verse 12, sorry, says, For he, so far as he has removed our transgressions from us. So he uses the word sins, he uses the word iniquities, and he uses the word transgression, all to describe our aggression against God. Now, my design here isn't to point my finger at you and to say that you're an evil sinner. My, my purpose for mentioning these words, and we're going to dive into them very quickly, is to reveal that we are all under the same banner, that we all have done, you know, and we could take away that word sin. If that word bothers you because it's too hard, honestly, I think in the Hebrew, the Hebrew words are much stronger than sin. But for our cultural reference, we don't understand sin being the same way. 
but wrong. You have done wrong against God. You could, you, you could say that very carefully. You could say it that way. We have all done wrong against God. And, you know, all of us sometimes continue to do wrong against God, right? Because God asks us to do something and we say no. So my design isn't to point my finger at you and saying how evil of a person you are and how much of an aggressor you are and you need to change your life. That is not my purpose. But my purpose is to reveal the heart of God to you that you are forgiven. And we're going to go into these other words that reveals the forgiveness of God in your life. That if we could be such an aggressor against God and he comes down and he extends such great forgiveness towards us, how amazing that is, that God has done that. And if God has done that, then why do we live in self-pity? Why do we live in guilt? Why do we live in shame? Why do we live in our sin when Jesus himself says, you have already been forgiven? Look at all these terrible things that you have done. Uh, sin, iniquity, transgression. But all these things have been removed from your life and I have extended mercy. I have extended grace. I have extended forgiveness. I have extended my love. I have called you a child. I have given you a position in the kingdom of God. Over and over again, that is the heart of God. Yet so often we allow our guilt to stifle to kind of suppress the Spirit of God in our life. I mean, I could sit there in this chair and think about all of my sin and say, I don't belong up here. And you know what that will cause me to do? To not come up here. I could sit there and think this way. But the forgiveness of God says those transgressions have been removed. It is the same for every one of you. Your sin, your, your actions, the way that you think, the way that you have responded to God or the way that you have not responded to God, the things that you committed this past week, the things that you might commit next week, those things could stop you from stepping into church because of guilt. And God says, no. No. Number one, he uses the word sin. This is very simply to describe this idea. We, we see it in the Hebrew also that you miss the mark. Anybody ever, uh, you know, go, you know, shoot a bow and arrow before? No? It's fun. You shoot it, you're aiming, your hand starts shaking because you're, you know, you're trying to keep that pressure on the bow if you're not using a compound bow and you're shooting it, and if your hand gets too tired, you get worse and worse with your aim, and you, and you're looking at the target, and you don't see anything. <laughs> and then you have to go in the woods, and you have to dig through the leaves, and you have to find that arrow because you missed. My son does it in our backyard sometimes, and I said, nope, go out there and find it. It's the same thing with, with God. God has given us a way to live. It is very clear, and our job here is not to describe how God wants us to live, but very simply that we're not living the way God wants us to live. We miss the mark. There goes the arrow. That's the first word for sin. The next word for sin is iniquity. 
this word is interesting because uh, th- there's two ideas that is coming here. Not only the, the, um, the act of sin, which is really talking about um, moral injustice, right? Doing something that is immoral. And it goes in deeper. But it also includes the inevitable punishments because of that sin. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 13, is the first time that this word iniquity is used. And it is used by Cain, saying, to, Cain is talking to God. He says, my punishment is too great to bear. It's that same word for iniquity. That you have been immoral and there's been this sin in your life. And because of that sin, now there is this consequences for your sin. And it is too great for me to, to stand. And the last word that is used for sin is transgression. This word is amazing. And you, you can see like in these words, they get stronger and stronger, right? Like iniquity is stronger. Sin is strong. Iniquity is stronger. Transgression is even more strong. This means willful rebellion against God. Willful rebellion against God. When you choose to go against the nature of God. Now, sometimes I sin, but sometimes it's not so much an act of my will. It's just an act of my nature. You ever, like, just sin, just like, whoops, that just happened. Like, that's kind of missing the mark. When we think about iniquity, it becomes that there is more, it is more premeditated, and you're thinking more and more about this sin. And we talk about transgressions, is now that I am making an act against the kingdom of God and what he desires in my life. And all of us, in some measure, have done one or both or multiple of these. We have all sinned. The Bible says it. We've all sinned. But there's also iniquity in our own hearts. Some of us today feel like we're suffering from the, our, the punishment of our iniquities, don't we? And we could say, you know, God, the punishment, just as Cain said, Lord, the punishment is gr- too great for me to bear. And we all have transgressed against God, meaning that we all have, with our own free will, gone against his will. God has a will for you. God has a design for you. You're not planted on this earth by accidents. You're not just, you know, you know, stumbling across this universe and trying to make it through this planet until the day that you die. You're not here to work every single day of your life with no purpose. You're not, you know, you know it, it doesn't matter your life story. It doesn't matter how you feel. The reality that the Bible teaches us is that we are all here for a very specific purpose. And when we go against that purpose, that is what the Bible is calling transgression. And the reason why that encourages me so much is because if I can transgress God, that means God has a will for my life. If I can miss the target, that means God has a target for me to hit. If there can be iniquity in my life, it also means that there can be joy in my life. So the opposites of these words are very true. 
And that excites me because now I realize that I am not just a product of my culture. I'm not a product of my bad decisions. I'm not a product of the American system. I'm not a product of the culture. We, I mean, we could go on and on and on again. I mean, we can say, I'm not a product of these things. But in reality, I could be a product of God's will. It is God's will that you are here today, and I thank you for being here. I am thankful. I mean, I, it was so good to see you, Emma, coming in today, you know? Hey, wait, is that Emma? I was like, had her, just like, it is. I had, like, is that her name? Yes, it is. Is that Justin? Justin's here. You know, Rich is here. I don't sit at home and wonder about who's not here and who's, who should be here and what is wrong with me or what is wrong with them. I don't live in what could be. I live in what is because of what God says is in my life. I live in God's will and it's God's will that every one of you are here today. And I am thankful for that. And I function in that very purpose. As you should. But listen to how God speaks about our aggression against him. I'm not talking, you know, God hates sin. There are consequences for our sin, and they happen. But listen to what God says in this psalm. This is at the end of David's life. He is older. And if anybody knows about sin, if anybody knows about the character of God and how he uh, reviles sin and how he forgives sin, it would be David. Because remember, the New Testament calls David being a man after God's own heart. So if he understood God, it is David. And here's what David says about God's heart towards our aggression. Verse 10. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. Number one is he does not reward us to what we deserve. I was reading this from schol different scholars, and, and they were saying, like, like, David is going through this hard time, and he understood that he, actually, I'll just read this. He says, we ought to praise the Lord for what he has not done, as well as for what he has brought for us. How many of you ever get the money in the bank just in time to pay a bill? It's encouraging, isn't it? We praise God for that. I praise God for my wife. I praise God for my car. I praise God for good health. I praise God for everything that he has brought in my life. But do you know what? I also praise him for all the things that he has not done in my life. And the quote continues, For the negative side deserves our adorning gratitude. Up to this moment, at our very worst estate, he has never suffered as we deserve to suffer. Meaning this, that David is not saying that we'll never suffer because of our choices. But what he is saying is we'll never suffer as much as we deserve. <laughs> I'm not going to stand here and say I've never suffered in my life. There's been pain in my life. There's been tears. There has been seeking out for God on my knees, asking God the tough questions in life, why? And as I get older, the same questions will come. 
I will ask God why. Could you have? Would you have? Why didn't you? Those questions will happen. But David is saying, despite those, we can also rest assured that whatever has happened, it always could have been worse. Because he does not reward us to our sin, according to our sins. He does not reward us according to our iniquities. He does not reward us according to our transgressions. The next thing that he says, nor does he punish us according to our iniquities. Isn't that amazing? Could God punish us? He could. No man should be in his presence. We understand that. And this should encourage us, guys, because God could have rewarded us in a certain way. And do you know how he rewards us instead? He rewards us with mercy. He rewards us with grace. He rewards us, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, right? It says that, four, it says that we can go boldly into the throne room of God. How can I go boldly into God's throne room when the priests, if you ever read the Old Testament, the priests, only the high priest could go into the throne room of God. Only once a year. And before he did, there was very strict procedure. He had to sacrifice for himself. He had to clean himself. And then he could go in. And then even then when he went in, they had a little rope around his leg just in case he died in the presence of God that they could drag his body out. <laughs> Funny, isn't it? But the point was to, you know, make big this idea that God is holy. God is holy. And no man can stand in his presence. But we can, the book of Hebrews says, the New Testament says, we can stand in his presence. The next thing I want to think about is his mercy. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. Um, does any of your translations say love or steadfast love? You know, I was studying about this word, hased, this word for mercy, and I, I found this interesting um, uh, book that talks about it. And it says that there are three basic meanings of the word hased, and that they always have to interact. Like this word hased, this word love, cannot be taken out without these words. It has to be, it has to include all these words. It has to be strength, steadfastness, and love. Hased, love always has to include strength, steadfastness, and love. Any understanding of the word that falls or the word that falls to suggest all three inevitably loses some of its riches. Love by itself easily becomes sentimental, doesn't it? And we see that today. Love is love, right? What is that? That's sentimental. That's not the Bible. That's sentimental. Oh, but I, I, I can't do this because I love you. That's sentimental. Or universalizing a part of, from the covenant, yet strength or steadfastness suggests only the, the fulfillment of a legal or obliga uh, obligatory act. Meaning if you take out love and you have strength and steadfastness, you have God being obligated to do something without love. But if you have only love, there is no 
There's no, <laughs> it is subjective. You know, it is sentimental. So this one writer is saying that this word, hased, has to include all three at the same time. Hased, love, in the Hebrew. Yeah, in the Hebrew, the, the word here for mercy, some translate, or, but, you know, steadfast love or love, some translation translated as strength. It's hased, and it has to include all three of those, or else it's not what it says it is. You know, it's amazing. If you read Luke chapter 1, verse 50, and this is, the, the, the words of, um, this is the words of Mary, and he is saying this as, uh, and you know what, she is singing this actually, as the angel reveals to her, reveals to her that she is going to give birth to the baby, baby Jesus. And listen to what she says. He says, and his mercy, his ascend, his strength, his steadfast, his love, is for those who fear him from generation to generation. That is, and that's what it says right here in Psalm chapter, thank you, 103, verse 11. So great is his mercy towards those who fear him. Do we, do you fear God? The answer is yes, I fear him. Is there sin in my life? Is there iniquity in my life? Is there transgressions in my life? Yes, there is. But I still fear the Lord. And God is going to bring in this mercy in my life. And the last thing, the last response that Jesus has, that God has towards my aggression is in verse 12. It's as far as the east is from the west, as far as he has removed our transgression. He has removed your transgressions. As Ben sung, is there anything that could separate me from the love of God? No, not even myself, not even my own sin, not, over, not even my own transgressions, not even my own iniquities, not even my own, you know, just go down the list of things and all the, the life of bad choices that we have made, and we could still say no. None of those things can separate me from the love of God because David says they have been removed The Hebrew is funny because it means like a widening, right? It means, it actually means it's the same word that is used for a receding hairline in the Hebrew. You know, Hebrew is a pictorial language. You know, so for those that, you know, starting to lose some of the hair, you know, it's like it means receding, right? That's like, that's what the Bible is saying. It says, but it's even greater, like that cat, that that cat, <laughs> that space that is there, that as far as the east is from the west, because they can never meet. That space that is there describes how far God has removed your transgression against Him. So now there is no reason for you to say no to God. There is no reason for you to say no to God. Because he has removed every single excuse that you have. You know, I have a lot of excuses. I'm tired. Removed. I am imperfect. Removed. 
I'm not qualified. Removed. I'm sinful. Removed. I'm going to make a choice against your will for 20, 30, 40 years. I'm going to go against the kingdom of God. Removed. Because in a moment, God, we can say to God, yes, yes. And we are accepted in the beloved. In a moment, that can happen. Every single minor and major prophet, they have a message of doom and gloom for Israel because of their sin. You will be punished. You will suffer. But at the end of every single prophet, it says, but he will be merciful. He will be merciful. If you just look at God. There's not a long list of things that, that those prophets that God asks us to do. This is very simple. Turn to God. Every single prophet says it. Turn to God. Guys, God isn't holding against you all the wrong that you have done in your life. Some of us are young, but we have a lot of mistakes. Some of us are old and have a lot of mistakes. But God isn't holding those and saying, hey, look at this long list. You haven't earned a place in my kingdom. You haven't earned a place in my work. You haven't earned a place in my church. God isn't, you know, like a seesaw. And our sin so much outweighs the wrong things that we will never be in a place with God that is healthy. God doesn't do that. God doesn't do that. So why do we take ourselves and put us in a box and we say, God, you can never use me. God, you can never heal me. God, you can never love me. God, you can never forgive me. Why do we do that to ourselves? The Bible says that only the master has the right to judge the servants. We are not our own master. You are not. You have a free will. As Americans, we love this idea of freedom, and we, you know, we talk about it all the time. I have the freedom to do whatever I want. Leave me alone. I can do this. I can do that because of freedom. Yes, you are free to do what you want, but you are a servant of God. And as his servants, he is the one who has the right to judge you. And he is saying today that your sin is forgiven. Colossians 2, verse 14, Romans 6, and on and on and on. We could go to many verses in the New Testament that says no matter what stage you are at your aggression towards God, there is a place for you in God's kingdom. Isn't that amazing? If you were Jesus, would you have picked the 12 disciples? I probably wouldn't have picked them just because they smelled funny. I at least like my friends to smell good. <laughs> probably would have picked a cook or something, somebody that could at least cook good. But he picked people who could count money. <laughs> And he didn't pick, like, a great group of people. At the end of his life, right, Peter left and forsook Jesus. Yet Jesus doesn't take back Peter's calling. He could have very easily given it to another one of the disciples. 
could have easily promoted another disciple. But he used Peter no matter what. It's the same thing. Like we could disqualify ourselves. But if we do that, we are doing the disqualifying. It's not God. It is us saying, no, God, you can't use me. And we sit at our couches and we are lazy because we say, God, no. God is saying, yes. As far as the east is from the west, I've removed. I have rewarded you not according to your sin, but according to my goodness. I have given you mercy because you fear me. That is God's response to our aggression. And I just want to encourage you guys in this message. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this message. And I stand here just like everybody else, half the man that I should be, not quite as good as I want to be, but I stand here forgiven. I stand here with my sins removed. And I stand here because of God's grace, because you have forgiven me. And each one of us sit here because we are forgiven. And I want us guys to take this message seriously. I want us to understand that we are forgiven because that changes the way we look at God's goodness. That changes the way we look at sin. That also changes the way I look at others. If I can't forgive myself, I won't forgive others. But when I allow God's forgiveness to come deep into my heart, I am so free from the chains that other people have put me in. And I am tired of believers living in the chains of their own guilt, living in chains of expectations from others. I am tired of believers not living in their potential with Christ. And I just ask God that you will call us into the, in these places and speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen.